I'm Julian Dobson. I'm a writer and researcher. My background's actually in journalism. I used to run a magazine called New Start, uh, which was about um, the future of places. Uh, it was about towns and cities, and particularly around uh, issues of urban regeneration, which is a, a much maligned concept that we, we might get onto later. Um, for the last uh, seven years or so, I've been working as an independent writer and researcher. I wrote a book on the future of high streets and town centres, which came out a couple of years ago. And I'm currently sort of taking a little bit of a detour into academia and uh, studying um, moving from the micro to the macro scale, looking at uh, how institutions can change, how the institutions that basically structure society can change in order to achieve the kind of transition that we need to environmentally um so uh, so i've been uh, getting deep into that sort of stuff so so does the so for me when i when i read uh, your book about you know how how our towns and cities particularly our city centers are now you know it it, it looks to me like it, it reflects a system that's kind of run out of ideas and and run out of imagination and does that kind yeah. of resonate with you and if so what do you put that down to um, I think, I think the lack of imagination, um, maybe it's not so much a lack of imagination as a, a lack of imagination about how imagination is applied, if that makes sense. But there's lots of creativity being applied within quite a narrow focus. So it's being applied in order to, to market stuff in order to make retail more interesting and, and and you know there's huge amount of creativity that goes into that you know if, if if you talk to people who are running retail businesses they're actually hugely creative but if you look at how town centers work if you look at what's going on in our town centers as a whole actually there's a complete dearth of imagination about what are those places for? Who should use them? How should they use them? What can you do in those places? Uh, how can you use those spaces? So, so I think it's, it's almost as if the creativity is there, but it's only being channeled in order to serve particular purposes and particular logics. Uh, and if, if you want to kind of break out of that, I think you, you need to step back always and say not you know not just are we being sufficiently imaginative but uh are we are we thinking broadly enough about how we apply our imagination where is our imagination allowed to go uh so i've been thinking um quite a lot about ideas of utopia recently yeah the yeah the that's in yeah sort of from from particularly from around the sort of 16th, 17th century through to the Victorian era, you had, you had these kind of uh, visions of utopia that kept being expressed um, by people like the Levellers, like the Diggers with Gerard Winston, they, um, people like William Morris um, with News from Nowhere. And, the, you know, these were works of imagination. They were works of fiction. You know, utopia is no place. But the purpose of utopia is to be is to enable us to think more imaginatively about the places that we do live in. 
so you know utopia presents a challenge to what is to what we see around us and and i think what we see in our town centers is that utopian thinking is out of bounds almost you know you can only have this very very pragmatic approach which is about the market which is about the market economy and the success of the market economy uh, and values that lie beyond that almost are, are taken out of the equation so ideas of a successful town center are ideas about a successful retail center a successful commercial center and success is measured in very very limited uh, ways then you know, about the profitability of development about the amount of money that is being spent and about possibly the amount of jobs that are being created uh, so imagination to me is is about expanding our range of values and saying what really matters why does it matter um, what kind of people can we be uh, and how can we start to translate that into the spaces that we live in and not just keep it in the private sphere which is about our beliefs or our hobbies or our campaigns and when did when did that um when did that happen do you think you know the the the, the imagination and creativity got sort of channel sideline down into this little bit down the side and airbrushed out of everywhere else um i i think it's been a process that's been going on for probably for decades maybe longer but i think one of the things that has exacerbated this is that fewer and fewer people uh have a seat at the table there are fewer people in the party so if you want to do something in a town center you have to have capital you have to have land ownership you have to have investment money you know, the the small scale uh is more and more excluded and where, where it is about where where it does appear you know we were having this conversation about craft beer a few minutes ago where it does appear it's often in the marginal spaces and what happens is you have this process um, of retail gentrification almost where the creative people are allowed into certain spaces in order to create a culture of things happening so that value is created then for the big developers who move in cream off all the, all the financial value from that and eventually force out a lot of the independent activity so to me uh, diversity is absolutely at the heart of creating a more imaginative space and that needs to be diversity in all, all sorts of ways you know it needs to be cultural diversity class diversity financial diversity uh, diversity of age of gender background how can you how can you increase the mix of people who are working in the space because that allows that sort of spark to happen it allows connections to be made it enables imaginative solutions to be brought forward when when you exclude when you when you do things that are entirely predicated on economic growth you're automatically moving out of the equation all the people who don't bring financial crap to the table mm. and, and so i think particularly in the last 10 years or so that's been you know, particularly since the financial crash as we've seen 
attempts to regenerate high streets and town centres that have suffered from that, we, we've actually seen an, a, a, a much narrower group of people having, I think, a long-term stake in those places. Yeah. Uh, there have been quite a lot of interesting things going on at the margins with ideas like meanwhile projects, temporary pop-up things, but the whole point of the, that sort of activity is that it's there for a while to enliven the space and then it gets moved out as commercial value is created so so i think there's um there's a real problem there in terms of exclusion mm. of people i think also in just in terms of the built environment in general um it's it's the exclusion of people who don't have something financial to offer and that's in terms of spending uh it's in terms of uh, acting as consumers rather than as citizens in the space. And it's also, you mentioned earlier, the idea of playful cities, playful spaces, you know, places where people can feel okay about doing nothing, just hanging out. So one of my favourite spaces in Sheffield is the Peace Gardens in the middle of the city. And that's just a park with fountains in it where kids run around, get soaking wet, annoy their parents, you know, that sort of thing. Place, a place which is totally devoted to hanging out to play, which is not about creating an immediate financial return. And actually, that does create value for the commercial operators, the financial people, the, the retailers as well, because it creates a space that people want to be in. Mm. And uh, there's... It feels like um, a lot of modern architecture. I was in Manchester the other day and walked past the new Premier Inn building in Manchester, which is the right. most phenomenally dull building. Like, sort of, just all your senses sort of shut down. Like, it has no, nothing interesting about it at all. It's this long, boring facade of this big black building. And, yeah. you know, I remember I was reading about... Um, some of the psychogeography stuff about you know when you mm. when you walk around in a space that doesn't that doesn't trigger your curiosity at all yeah. how that's how that impacts on people um do you think there's an argument that the way that we increasingly build the the, the kind of architecture that most of us are exposed to in towns and cities now is have, has a detrimental effect on our imagination um. Maybe it's maybe it's the other way round that um, that there's a lack of imagination in creating architecture. Um, I, I wouldn't know whether the architecture itself limits people's imagination. I think what it does do um, quite obviously um, is it limits access, and if you limit, limit access, then you limit what can be done in the space. Mm. You know, so, so you've had, um, f for example, you know, architecture designed to exclude homeless people uh, and, and creating spaces which are sanitised, creating spaces which, um, where only certain types of people are included and encouraged to take part I think it it, um, it creates what's seen as a safe environment, but that safety is actually um, a blandness uh, and, and, and 
it, it's not just the blandness, but it's actually an exclusionary process which, which keeps you know, certain people out who are considered undesirable or troublemakers. So, so I think that's a big problem. And if architecture is designed around those sort of principles, that's a problem. Um, I think the other thing is valuing what can be done in spaces. So Jane Jacobs, the um, famous American openness, said, said um, new ideas need old buildings. Yeah, uh, partly because old buildings are relatively cheap and easy to access, but it also it is about imaginative reuse. It's about saying, here's a place with a history, here's a place with a bit of character, what can you do in that space? Uh, and people get inspired by those spaces. If, you, if you're just creating a, um, a new sanitised shell, um, yes, you can do interesting things, but... Uh, there's the price of access and I think there's the um, there's a problem sometimes with a blank canvas and in, in that that maybe people feel less willing to to use it imaginatively and creatively mm. um, and and I think that you know it's who who is allowed in and on what terms uh, so so messy places uh, slightly up and down places, more difficult places, are actually places of creativity. So if you go to somewhere like Stokes Croft in Bristol, you know, you'll see that actually it's the the most run-down areas which have been the places that have encouraged the kind of flowering of street art and creativity and protests and interesting new ideas. You know, those haven't happened in the big shopping malls, they haven't happened in the... Um, the successful suburban high streets. You know, it happens in the difficult spaces, the marginal spaces. What, what in permaculture we would call edge places. Mm. Um, um, th there's a quote I, I always attribute to you, and then and then when I had I had your book out a couple of times and I couldn't find it, and I noticed that locality use it now, which is to talk about places of possibility. And I was sure I got it from you, and I can't find um, it in the book it's anyway. It's definitely one that I use. Yeah. I'm not sure who else has used it. I mean, I'd be amazed if no one else has thought of it. <laughs> anyway, I wonder what for you what for you constitutes a place of of possibility. What what you mean by that, and then what what constitutes it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, is it something about the place, or is it something about the people? I think it's probably something about the people first of all. It's saying being able to come to a place and say, "What can you do in that space?" But it's also about having the leeway, having the freedom to take action or or having the opportunity, maybe without permission, to take action in a space. Um, and and that's, that's, that's about, um, it's about coming to a space and saying, what could it be like? What could you do here? How could it be different? Who could benefit from it? So I, th I think when, when you think of imagination, there's maybe three ways of thinking about it. There's, there's the imagination of what is it that you can imagine happening in a space. There's imagination for who are, who are you imagining it for? Who, who is included in, in that vision of, of what might happen? And, and I think there's also imagination against, which takes you back to that utopian idea, which is you can use imagination as a critique 
of things that are going on in the world, things that are going on on your doorstep, in your high streets, in your town centre, in city centres, or politically at a larger scale. And I think it's that um, when you're thinking of places of possibility, they can be places for all three of those kinds of imagination. Uh, and I think probably all three need to be at work in those spaces in order to kind of catalyse something happening. And and what, can you think of a couple of examples for you of the best, uh, of the best examples of those? Um, well, there's, I mean, there's one that I always come back to, which is Incredible Edible Todmism. Um, and um, I, I, I think what Incredible Edible have done really well is see the possibility in very, very small actions but the, the huge ramifications that are possible from that. So just by planting in public spaces, you can, you can start a conversation about food, where do we get our food from, um, why do we import beans from Kenya when we can grow them here, uh, why do we import strawberries from um, you know, other parts of the world when we, we can grow them on our doorstep, you know, even in a wet place like Todmonton. Uh, so you can start a create a um, conversation about food. You can start a conversation about place, which is how do we think of this place? How does it work? How do people move around it? What is there to see? What is there to do? Um, and you can start a conversation about why are decisions being made in the way that they are. So why do we need another supermarket in this town? Why is the market not flourishing in the way that it might? Um, why does the place not connect up in the way that it should? And, and, and so, so you can use something small as a way of starting a whole range of conversations, which, you know, so Incredible Edible started as a conversation about climate change, but it actually moved into a whole load of other things, uh, which are all connected. Uh, and I, so I, I think that is a really good example. Mm. Um, I, th I think it can happen at a very, very small scale. So another example is um, a town called Wooler in Northumberland, where the uh, local tourist information centre was due to close and a local uh, community development organisation uh, came up with a plan which was basically to uh, to move various services in the town around. So you had a library and a tourist information centre in the same building. That frees up the former library space, which was turned into affordable housing. You can start to catalyse a number of different things happening in the place. And and so it's that sort of, that sort of conversation which is saying... Okay, if we start with this one issue, but we we then think about what are the other things that it connects to, how can we start to make that place different, and how can we start to use that process as a way of addressing some of the more fundamental long term issues in that place? So, in whether it was a, an issue of affordable housing, and it was an issue of local services um, being cut by the county council. So, so it's how can people start to take their future into their own hands in a creative way, uh, in a way that says, 
okay, let's start here and see where it can lead rather than here's a project, here's a pot of money that comes from some funding source. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, here's your deliverables. And so does does that idea that 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 we might have a uh, an issue in terms of imagination as a culture does that kind of resonate with you does that sort of sound like it makes sense um i think yeah i, th I think going back to what i was saying earlier i think there's um there's an issue in what we permit ourselves to imagine so so it's it's probably the application of imagination to me that that is the issue it's it's not that people aren't imaginative it's that they uh, they perhaps don't allow their imagination to extend to to really rethinking uh some of some of the really big questions about how do we live who do we live for you know, what's it, what is the point of being here? You know, what, do, do we really exist on this planet in order to kind of get a more expensive bathroom? Or, yeah. um, and, and I think a lot of the time, you know, they, those, those sort of conversations are not seen as part of everyday discourse anymore. Um, and why is and that? And I think they probably were, I think there were probably times when the, when when it was much more okay to talk about some of those those kind of big questions about life uh, and we seem to have replaced a lot of the big questions with small questions uh, and uh, you know I think one of the things that that you're doing with transition and the, the, that many others are doing particularly around environmental issues is to say that the big questions are back on the agenda mm. we've got to start asking ourselves them and they're not going to go away um, so, you know, you have this concept of wicked problems, problems that, that, that there isn't one solution for. And, you know, there isn't one solution for climate change. There isn't one solution for environmental crisis. Uh, there are many, many things that can be done. And with each of them, the problem takes on new faces. And so each time we need a new input of imagination to say, Okay, how is the problem changing? How can we start to address it? And how can we use that to open up bigger conversations about how do we want to live? What what does well-being really mean? What does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to be successful? Yeah, uh, success is considered in an incredibly narrow way. You know, it's considered in terms of qualifications, in terms of income. Uh, in terms of particular achievements and actually yeah again we need to open up that conversation and make it much bigger yeah so when i'm talking about high streets when i'm talking about town centers what is a successful place it's not just a place with more shops it's a place where people feel a sense of belonging it's a place where people feel they have a future it's a place where which is inclusive it's a place where everybody has a stake, no, no matter what their income is, no matter what their class background is or racial backgrounds. Um, it's a place where people feel that they have a say in society. And all those things are currently excluded from most of the conversations about town centres. And that, yeah, that's just one example. So, but again, you know, if you take environmental issues, 
it, it's not just what happens, you know, does Trump pull out of the Paris Agreement or not? Yeah, that's important. But actually, it's also how, how can we think about how we live in a way that is more in tune with the natural environment, which in a way that values the natural environment? How can we actually start to, to bring the natural environment into our urban spaces in new ways? which is a very um, pertinent issue where I live in Sheffield at the moment with the mm. local council cutting down trees left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, and you have, you have conversations going on there which, um, which show that there's a, um, a, a loss of connection with the natural world. And again, imagination can start to reconnect us, Yeah. Uh, you posted something on your blog. I can't remember who, who it was. A um, guy talking about birdsong. Oh yeah, Tony. Uh, yeah, Tony yeah. Whitehead. Yeah, and yeah, um, but it's that listening, that awareness, that that being able to stop and appreciate, which is really important in kind of reawakening that process of of asking the really big questions about you know, what do we really value, mm, uh, and how can we translate. Uh, those values into the decisions that we make every day about how we live our lives because for me that's disconnected and uh if if uh if you were were running for uh, election next week uh <laughs> which i'm not which <laughs> which i'm not well just you haven't got very long to organize a campaign if you did <laughs> and 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 you were and you were to run on a platform of make Britain imaginative again, that your aim was to make this a place where people's imagination and creativity just flourished uh, in a historically unprecedented way, what might be some of the things you would do in your first 100 days in office? Um, I think probably, I think probably um, bring, the, bring the civil service in um, and find ways of getting them to be imaginative. Yeah, bring bring the people from the treasury in because they're the ones who are actually starting to you know they're, they're the ones who are really dictating what is of value. Um, bring the people who are responsible for the national planning policy framework, which is predicated entirely on economic growth. Yeah, and start to get them to understand that there are things that are of different value and that you. Um, yeah, that economics is not the lord and master that we must all bow down before. It's a tool that we should use in order to achieve the ends that we want. So, so I, yeah, I, I think one of the first things that I'd want to do is is get some of those key decision makers in and say, okay, this is where we want to go as a country. You have the tools. Make them work for the purposes that we want them, rather than. You know, use them as something that that bind us into a, a set of choices, with, which end up with really bad outcomes. So I think that's one of the first things. Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of policy level. I spoke. Um, uh, sorry, go. On. Uh, I I th I think um, I think the other thing, possibly the other thing, you know, which is really pertinent during an election campaign, is to start to to reimagine democracy. Yeah. Do we really have to do it this way? Is this the best way we've got? Um, how, can, how can we start to rethink democracy in a way which brings more voices to the table, 
in a way which better reflects the spectrum of opinion in society and in a way that is more deliberative and less about um, you know, deferring everything onto elected members who, who, who then defer it onto their leaders. You know, the, you know, the, the, the kind of individualization of the democratic process you know, to, to a kind of very crude question of who is in number 10, uh, I think is highly damaging. So, so yeah, I, th I think that, that would be one of my main priorities, start to rethink that process. So, so what you were saying earlier was that you felt that the crisis was that was that the the system that we have narrows down the opportunities for imagination to be expressed. Mm. So, um, so so would you take into its kind of conclusion? Would would you therefore argue that actually a growth based capitalist system, by design, is a system which is about limiting and constraining imagination rather than unleashing it in the way um, in the way that we currently practice it anyway i, I think it, i think it's a system which is about co-opting imagination and harnessing it for a very narrow range of purposes mm, mm. um so yeah i mean you, you know in a very crude way you can say capitalism is the problem but actually i think what you need to say is what it what is it about our culture that has created capitalism in its current forms? And what is it about the way that we understand the world that needs to be challenged and changed in order to start to mitigate and reverse some of the most effects of capitalism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so in a sense, capitalism isn't the explanation for everything that is wrong it's the thing that needs to be explained the thing that needs perhaps better um, analysis and 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 to be more imaginatively challenged 